So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I actually truly believe that we're all out there to get a competitive edge with our investing, but with the intensity of interest in investing and a very finite or limited number of products, assets, and strategies, this is actually really tough. It's hard to pull away from competing with the masses. And one of the reasons I really love alternative investment opportunities is that that changes that. It's a highly inefficient market which makes it really perfect for smart investors to get that competitive edge that they yearn for. The problem is with any kind of investing where there is reliance on someone else's skill. And I'm talking about you could go to a seminar and look for an investment property, or you could use a buyer's agent, or you could put your money with a stockbroker and have them invest in shares, or you could go to a financial planner and and put money into the products that they advocate. The problem with all of that is that we don't really know what their character and ethics are, and we don't actually know whether they're just marketing to us or actually genuinely hand on heart care about our money as much as we do. We don't really know often the depth of their track record. It's really hard to validate every single deal that someone's done and what their actual track record for success is over uh, any length of time. They can tell us what it is, but we actually have great difficulty validating that. We also don't really know if their assumptions in either presenting deals or putting deals together is solid. And ultimately, what people are really scared of is being scammed or investing with good marketers who are actually either grossly incompetent or worse, devious. But the thing is, if we are methodical and if we do focus on investing with people that we know, like, and trust, that we speak to past clients, we can actually eliminate some of that doubt around character. We can probe about aspects of their track record and their strategy and how they go about putting deals together. We can ask specific questions about how investments are selected, what level of underwriting and what level of stress testing they do. And then we can actually put ourselves in a position where we have a high probability of success, meaning you are simply stacking the odds in your favor. So today in the podcast, what I actually want to talk about is two sides of the coin. One is that we seek a competitive edge. The other side is that we fear being scammed or ripped off or misled in some way, causing us to invest in an asset which doesn't give us the outcome that we want. Now, some of you may have tuned into the uh, four-part miniseries that was recently released on Netflix about Bernie Madoff. Uh, And, you know, as someone who's fascinated by this subject matter, I had to watch it and I found it fascinating and I highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in this stuff. 
But essentially this documentary, it was actually, it wasn't really a documentary. It was a kind of movie style miniseries on the life of Bernie Madoff, which started around the time that he started working for his father-in-law. Now, a lot of people think that his scam was a relatively recent evolution, but it wasn't. Um, what was evident from, you know, this documentary was he had very high ambitions. He had a lot of desire to prove people uh, wrong that he could actually succeed and he was crooked from the get-go and his scam extended well over four decades. And I think the thing I found most fascinating was as the Ponzi scheme started to get quite big and bigger and bigger fish were attracted to invest with him, really smart individuals who understand the fundamentals of investing were too afraid to ask questions around, well, what is the strategy and how does it work? They got a very theoretical perspective, but they couldn't actually see it in action. They didn't ask for proof. They didn't ask any pointy questions. And he would be saying things like, you know, if you don't trust us, then take your money elsewhere. Or if you're not happy with the returns, take your money elsewhere. And he would even project to the point of, saying, well, if you don't give a certain amount of money, then don't bother investing with us. He took money from big hedge funds, big royal families and private investors all the way through down to average mum and dad investors who really, this was their last part of their nest egg and they were going to be banking on that for funds in retirement. And, you know, the scheme went on and on and on and on and eventually unraveled uh, with the global financial crisis. Now, the essence of what I want to point out here is that there were smart people who were too afraid to probe any deeper because greed prevented them from wanting to be excluded from what they thought was a stellar opportunity. And if you can understand that most investors are driven by FOMO and fear of missing out, then you can start to understand how to separate yourself from the way that other investors think. The problem with FOMO or fear of missing out is that it forces you into short game thinking. And if you start to study the patterns and thinking and habits of ultra wealthy individuals, the vast majority of them, what distinguishes them from everybody else is they stick to the long game. They are not momentum investors. They are not looking for a quick buck. They are looking for investments that are sustainable, that will more than likely produce results over years, if not decades. So, where I'm going with all of this is really just to point out that most of the people that I regard as A-grade world-class investors, when I talk to them about the story of Bernie Madoff, they find it funny to some regard because you know they themselves would never have invested with a guy like that. And I want to tell you about a specific colleague of mine who he has met Bernie Madoff. He met Bernie Madoff in the flesh. Um, at the time, he was a very successful hedge fund manager. And he said, he, he relays that he remembers asking Bernie Madoff and his associates, all right, take us through the strategy and show us how this works. And Bernie Madoff flat out refused. So, he was very comfortable getting up and saying, well, thanks for your time and just leaving. So, for various reasons, there were also some astute people in the market who were very quick to get to a no. And 
This colleague of mine, I asked him to come and present to our community uh, a couple of weekends ago. And essentially what he was doing was expressing, here's how hedge fund managers, here's how institutions conduct their due diligence. And it was a fascinating insight into the depth and the level of intensity of due diligence that they would do relative to an individual investor. Now, the truth of the matter is, as an individual investor, it's really hard to create the resources to do that sort of uh, due diligence or research. They, as a hedge fund, might have had 10 dedicated full-time staff simply to vet and confirm different aspects of how deals were structured. But as the average investor, the question is, well, we don't have that. So how do we compete? And the essence of where we got to, particularly over the weekend, was you've got to come up with a list of non-negotiables. Now, I've talked ad nauseum about the importance of having investing rules in the past, but the best insurance that you can possibly have in terms of how do you get that competitive advantage and how do you avoid being scammed is to really have a set of subset of questions, I should say, within your investing rules, which are these are not negotiable. So, you know, really what I'm advocating for our community is that they create a short list of what is not negotiable for 2023, for example. We are in a market cycle or part of the cycle right now, which is fraught with uncertainty. There are a lot of looming disasters, if you like. We've got wars, we've got pending recessions, we've got high interest rates, high inflation, uh, we've got you know some contradictory economic indicators happening right now, a whole bunch of things. But the upshot of it is, given the environment, what do we have to do? What do we have to double down on as a not negotiable? And you know, within our community, we came up with a whole variety of criteria around which we are now saying, well, that was a would be nice and now is a not negotiable. So the upshot of the presentation that we saw last week by this institutional investor was really highlighting that you've got to structure a series of rules to get to a no fast. That was really the the upshot. Now, it depends what you're investing in. If you're investing in traditional real estate, if you're investing in shares, if you're investing in alternative assets, it doesn't matter. Obviously, the rules for each of those asset classes is going to be different. But let's say, for example, you are investing in an alternative real estate deal. The questions that you want to be asking are all about how do you get to a no really quickly because I think what most investors tend to do if they have an idea for something that they want to invest in is they're very quick to kind of grasp at evidence that supports that decision or they're prepared to make uh, an investment decision based on flimsy uh, information. The way that I think is that I'm looking for people with whom I can align with that will be with me for the next few decades. And in doing that, what happens is I can ask all those pointy questions now so that in the future, if I want to add to my pool of money with a certain trusted advisor, I don't have to go through the rigmarole in its entirety from start to finish. I'll have already had a bit of a track record with them and an experience myself. And I'm really looking to just tweak, well, what's happening right now? The trust aspect is taken care of, the how they do business and how they think is taken care of. And it's really about applying it to current market conditions and what the opportunities look like right now. In the case of 
just traditional buy and hold real estate? Do I think there's still opportunity? Absolutely. What I would also say is that you can't just go around buying something just because you can afford it, just because you can get finance, or just because it made sense in the past. What you really want to do is actually set a pretty high standard for investing criteria, which could be based on just when the market kind of writes itself, what assets are going to give you the highest probability of success once the market moves into that next part of the cycle. So guys, I guess in summary, if you want to be an investor that sets themselves apart from everybody else, you need to really understand the long game. We want to try and avoid as much as possible momentum plays. We want to avoid investing from a place of FOMO. And the best way to do that is to articulate not only your investing rules in general, but your non-negotiables for the current market environment. Okay, so I'm going to give you an example of some of these and why, from my perspective, I'm really adding emphasis to these for 2023. So the first thing I'm look- I'm interested in is what is the investment structure? Do I actually have direct ownership of an asset if I'm participating in that kind of deal? Or am I giving you my money, but you are the owner and you control the asset? That's a really important one. I want to understand a lot about what are my exit and entry strategies. If the market goes bad, what is my plan A, B, C, and D? What is their track record specifically? If something goes wrong, who gets paid first, second, and third? Let's think about how exit strategy might be affected by poor market conditions. If we're talking about a project-based asset, what is the project plan? Is there any investment that is key man dependent, meaning if the principal that's running that deal falls over, what else can I be thinking about? What is the underwriting process? How do they select assets? So like my list goes on and on and on, but I'm trying to give you a flavor of the things that I'm thinking about that are actually going to create more certainty around the investments that I undertake. The number one thing that would allow me to say no quickly is if someone is withholding information or not prepared to share information. And I'm also super mindful of marketing literature collateral, which, you know, makes something look really sexy and glossy, but doesn't have a lot of data or things that I can substantiate to back it up. One of the things you want to be super careful about are forecasts and predictions of what will happen in the environment, because obviously we don't know. And I think as well, ultimately, uh, and I've already said this, but I really want to emphasize this no like, and trust. When you have no like, and trust with someone that you're thinking of doing business with, it's a game changer. Now, you can find someone charming. That doesn't necessarily mean that you should trust them. Trust should be something that is earned. Trust should be something that isn't assumed necessarily. And, you know, when people make claims, the trust but verify rule of thumb is really valuable as well. So I think I'm going to leave it there today, guys. Um, Hopefully this was useful for those of you who are wanting to continue invest in the current market. Till next time, got lots of exciting topics. Take care. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.